Welcome to the Perihidomi. I'm Zach McCoy. Dad has never been so happy to be home. He's already put down his bag, walked past his mother-in-law and friends, as well as a couple of his employees and the rest of the family, no one questioning the rush he's in. His tears overcome him as he slides down and sits next to his wife on the floor, shoulder pressing shoulder, heads briefly leaning to touch. Their little boy is now recklessly happy, clearly riding a high of newfound energy, running and shrieking like a little boy should. Maybe he should be resting. He's been through so much. But who has the heart to stop him? So the boy zooms around the room with a toy, asking again for his favorite song. Again, again. Samam so sings it again, hoarse voice and all, eyes still puffy, now swollen with joy. Dad claps and stomps, his huge grin making his face ache, still not able to stop his leaking tears or his leaky nose. As the boy runs past once again, Dad scoops him up, both arms all the way around, and kisses his cheek, the boy laughing at being tossed upside down. Don't you know you should be sleeping right now? <laughs> Don't you know how much I love you? He whispers in his only child's ear, you scared me so much. Looking at his wife, he rambles on, thank God. The guys said his fever broke about one. I'm so sorry about earlier. She tells him she's sorry too, and yes, it was about one, but broke was an understatement. She tells him how it had all happened so suddenly They'd still been gathered at the bedside, them dressed for despondency, him stripped in sweaty, fevered desperation. No one talking about the unimaginable, but no one not thinking about it either. The whole situation basically unchanged from when he had set out to find Jesus. And then it just happened. He gasped, and immediately all their eyes snapped back to attention on him. His eyes were wide open, and he shot up, not even squinting at the light. He was awake, confusingly playful, asking for a snack, and the fever just gone. No more sweating or shivers, no more shallow, rattly breath. Just our little boy. She wiped her nose, she dried an eye again, sighed, and explained why she had been so mad when her husband had left. When he headed out on his foolish journey, looking for this miracle worker, she needed him too. Instead, there she was, abandoned, wailing, desperate to be held, yet having to be the one that lived the reality of a dying son all alone. What in the world happened? Our son's okay, and you're back. But where's your miracle worker? The dad responded, I know, and I'm so sorry. The last thing I wanted was to abandon you. Well, 
not the last thing, the next to last thing. And I felt like this was my only chance to avoid the true last thing. So I found him through a contact I used to work with who lives just outside Cana. I was sweaty and exhausted when I got there, but apparently everyone knows where Jesus spends his time when he's in town. He's got a couple good friends he stays with, so it took me hardly any extra time to get to him. When I showed up, he was surrounded by a small group of folks, men and women, even some kids. I could hear him talking from outside on the street. It sounded like some sort of intense discussion about farming or maybe a farmer they knew or something, I don't know. There were so many people around, I think I could have hung out a while without being noticed, but I must have looked desperate, overdressed like a schmuck, with pleading face and puffy eyes. By then, it had been hours and hours since I left, but kissing him goodbye and thinking I might not ever see him again and fighting with you, I don't think I'll ever forget your face as I left. Everything was surreal and I went numb. So the entire trip there was a blur. I kept wondering what was happening with y'all if I was already too late. I didn't know what else to do, so I started whispering my prayer mantra to myself over and over. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful. When I wasn't whispering, I tried singing the same with David's tune. I even got mad and shouted for part of the trip. Half to myself and half to God, trying to wrestle him into hearing me trying to wrestle myself into not giving up hope just yet. It was hours and hours of that, of raw and exposed nerves, eyes open just a little too wide, breaths just a little too fast. I'm sure there was no missing me when I burst in. And then Jesus looked up at me. I immediately felt seen, on the spot, when he asked, what's wrong? I told him, trying not to blubber, wanting to be blunt. But I overcomplicated it as it came out, worried that I couldn't make him care about this as much as I did. I told him about the last several sleepless nights, about the long trip, so long that I'd had to say goodbye to my son, worried that I'd never see him again. But obviously I couldn't do nothing, but how doing this was excruciating. I couldn't let it go to waste. Now that my wife was there with him, without me, what I had put her through, I needed him to know it all. I needed him to feel what I felt. Maybe I could convince him to come help. After my whole long spiel, I finally made the request, will you come with me to heal my son? He's about to die. And all he said to me was, unless y'all see signs and wonders, there's no way you'll ever believe. And in hindsight, I'm not sure if this was a teaching moment or some kind of challenge maybe a promise or what. But right then I wasn't thinking about any of that. All I knew was to turn the intensity of my plea up another few notches. Come with me before my child dies. And then he said, you go. Your child lives. And that was it. I don't know how I knew, but I knew he had heard me. He had seen my pain. The way he looked at me, the way he said it, I don't know. But I had some settled sense that everything was okay. He told me to come home and I came. 
Even as exhausted as I was, I think I was making better time back than I had made there. Running on that mixture of hope and adrenaline, expecting, wondering, ready to see y'all. It was still so excruciating. What if I was wrong? What if I had left you, come all the way here, and then had left there without Jesus? Maybe I'd misunderstood. Maybe he was speaking metaphorically, a kind of hateful metaphor that calls life death. When saying your child lives really means your child is dead, that couldn't be what Jesus had meant, right? So I went faster, clinging to hope, reminding myself how holy and miraculously I had gotten that settled feeling that everything was okay when I heard Jesus still muttering to myself, be merciful to me, oh God, be merciful. And suddenly I saw the guys. They shouted my name and ran to me and told me that he was really alive. I immediately asked and everything had changed right at the same time Jesus had said the word, it was real. This was now our reality, our incomprehensible and beautiful reality created and upheld by the word of his power, this great one, this Jesus who had compassion on us. So here I am. He sighed. He and his wife looked at each other, tender and thankful, but awestruck. How did this even make sense? Pretty soon they were telling the story to everyone they knew again and again, parsing the details, unable to make complete sense of it, dumbstruck, overjoyed, seen by love divine, touched by his power and mercy, saved by the great king and this kingdom of lavish and gratuitous grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who directly comforts us in all our affliction. Thanks for listening to The Pair He Did Omi. We're reliving these stories to help us keep living the story. I'm Zach McCoy, one of the pastors at Redemption Church in Houston, a church committed to helping absolutely anyone experience profound and holy intimacy with Jesus. You can find us on social media at RedemptionHOU. You can subscribe to all the episodes of this podcast wherever you listen, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. We'll be back with a brand new episode soon. Hope to see you then.